everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the strike edition, May 11th, 2023. I'm Charles Hain. I am here with Gigi Hawkins and Hello. Jason Hellerman. In solidarity. In solidarity. And I know you've probably read a bunch of articles about it. I know you've probably read some normie memes about it, but we are here to continue talking about the strike and I'm going to kick it over to Gigi and she's going to lay out all sorts of stuff we're going to be talking about with the WGA strike 2023. Yeah, thanks, Charles. On Friday, I went down to the Paramount picket line and had a chance to speak with a whole variety of people who were on the line. And later, after we hear from those folks, we're going to hear from Jason, who was there as well, holding his sign in solidarity, marching with everyone. But I think it's really important to hear from the people who are on the line, both in the WGA and outside of the WGA. And we got really lucky that people wanted to share their experiences. So before we go into those recordings, you're going to hear the second person you'll hear is a man named Phil Philip Rosenthal. You may know him as the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. And he brings up something that we're going to dig into later in this episode that is super important. So without further ado, here are the people on the picket line. Tell us about the moment that you broke into the industry as a writer. So I got into the Guild uh, by getting staffed on my first show. I was bumped up from assistant to... uh, to the writing staff uh, back in 2020, and it was for a Netflix show. Got it. In your career working, uh, what has been a moment uh, that was sort of a breaking point for you personally where you're like, things need to change? Um, I don't know if this is a breaking point, but uh, in my career, I've been in about four rooms now, and all of them have been fewer than 20 weeks, which um, I guess is just the nature of how things are now. But at the same time, I think it's a little sad that I've worked on four shows but have no production experience. So um, You've never been to set? I've never been sent to set. I've never been to set in a producer capacity, even though my title includes the word producer in it. Wow. Um, And so I think what the studios are proposing is this sad reality that we're in now where... um, it's screenwriting is no longer a trade. TV writing is no longer a trade and they're insistent on creating um, a gig economy out of our creative work. And um, if there's a way that we can stand together and uh, step away from that offer and say that it doesn't work for us, that's what we're going to do. Great. Uh, What do you hope that like emerging filmmakers, emerging writers will take for into the future seeing how the WGA has come together in solidarity? Um, I think what I hope um, new writers and new filmmakers will take away from this is a habit of fighting for a fair wage and um, an insistence on making this a sustainable career. We're not asking for sushi dinners all the time. We're just asking to be able to pay rent um, for those of us who has, who have families to provide for our families, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of all we want is a sustainable career. And, um, it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share while on the mic? No pressure. <laughs> come out and pick it with us. You don't have to be in the WGA. Um, you know, just, just come out and hit the streets. It's yeah, it's a good time. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gigi. My name is Phil Rosenthal. I've been a member of the WGA since 1989. 
So I'm one of the older folks here, but uh, you got to strike when things are unfair, no matter what your job is. Hollywood is built on scripts and storytelling. It's as simple as that. And it's getting harder and harder for people to make a living. Uh, so I'm here for those people. I did okay, but I know if you're a writer and you're young, this is now a gig economy for you. It's a, impossible to really make a living writing unless you can somehow string together many jobs in a year. Which is very difficult. Of course. You know, I when I was coming up, the normal order for a series was 22 episodes a year. And now it's like five, sometimes four. So this is the biggest difference, would you say, compared to previous years? It's this strain that you're feeling. It's that. There, there used to be residuals. There used to be all kinds of provisions for when you weren't working, you know? So what might seem like a dream to get uh, a job in series TV or a movie and you hear about the, oh, you're set for life. No, you're not set for life used to be you could count on residuals for all the times you're not working. There's thousands and thousands of people going for one job. It's really hard to make a living in show business. Why? Because a lot of people want to do that. It's very glamorous when you're working and when you're succeeding. But many, many times, 98% of the time, I would say, you're not. Yeah. Right? Now, how can people outside of the industry who haven't yet broken in or yes. who aren't here in L.A. or New York, how can they support the WGA and these efforts? Uh, stay aware, write to the studios. You know, they're, they're online, too. When they're advertising their stuff, you can comment. You can let them know that you don't support uh, a few guys taking all the money and stiffing everyone else. Yeah. Listen, we see this in corporate America. It's not even a show business problem. It's a corporate America problem. Mm -hmm. So we're just one of those unions that gets screwed like everyone else in every other business. I always say I love every aspect of show business. I love writing, directing, acting, producing, editing. I love it all. I love every aspect of the business except the business. <laughs> and I... Thank you for tying it into how this is an issue outside of just Absolutely. show business. Listen, we're all writers, all of us in life, where you and I are writing right now, what we're saying, right? So if you have an idea and they use it at work, you're a writer. Mm -hmm. If you're a chef, you write a recipe. And then the owner of that restaurant is capitalizing on your thoughts. Well, that is writing. Yeah. So... I'm sure people can identify. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to say? Uh, WGA strong. Yay. Thank you. Okay. okay. Danielle is your My writing partner. Writing partner. Danielle Evenson. Yes. yes. And you are? Heather Huntington. I am and Heather Huntington. So you're here with one half of your team I that you I go am. out with and yes. represent as a writer. So yes. as a part, one part of a writing team, yes. uh, what? Or what perspective do you bring to the table here on well, this? Well, I will tell you, as a writing team, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of negotiating points that we feel pretty strongly about, but there are some that specifically impact writing teams. Right. And so one of them is um, health and pension. So for teams is yeah. specifically one of the points that's on the table. And the thing about that is, is that 
you just it's one payment. You do not both get paid into like you don't get paid individually as health and pension. And like one of the things that a lot of the negotiating points boil down to are if you don't make enough money in your mini room or whatever, you don't make your health insurance. And again, if you're in a team, even if you're depending on what situation, even if you're in a better situation than a mini room, you still might not get your health or your pension. Yes, because you're a team and you split it. That's insane. Yeah. And like, I have two children and they both um, are, you know, have a lot of medical things that they are going to. And it's phenomenally expensive. And not only, and uh, so the insurance is essential. I would say that the thing that's, that spoke to me a lot and that I'm learning more about as I listen to really good people like, Adam Conover and a lot of the other guild representatives speak and at the meeting the other night was um, how detrimental the mini rooms are um, in terms of just what that's doing to everybody's pay. Like, it seems like that's that's a huge deal because what it is to me is that the studios found a loophole to get out of the pay rate that they had and negotiated. And a very cute name. And yeah. a very cute well, name I mean, because for... for for network TV and all of those things, there have been negotiated rates right. and minimums. And then being and then and then what they've been able to do with streaming and mini rooms is come up with a way to not pay the rate that they had agreed to. Right. Um, so that seems to be a huge breaking point. What what that's doing to everybody is this, it is making it untenable. Their livelihood. Because first of all, you don't you just can't make your rent. But then also, again. That's if you're in there for not enough time, you can't make your health insurance. Yeah. You can still have a big sale and qualify to be in the guild, but like not get the other things that you need to have a sustainable life. And I've seen that a lot of the unions in other countries like Australia and Canada and I think India are all standing by um, the Writers Guild. They're, They're instructing their writers not to do struck work. Wow. Yeah, because one of the ways that the studios can try to get, you know, try to offset the damage is by, first of all, stockpiling stuff beforehand to produce, but then also to try to get non-union writers from other countries to write things. But if they're refusing, then that helps bring, you know, that that helps bring strength to this. Uh, What's your name? Ken Christensen. And you are a WGA captain. What does that mean? Uh, that means you communicate with a team of writers like yourself uh, about what's going on uh, with the guild. And for folks that are in the sort of emerging space, people who are looking to break into writing, directing, uh, working in TV and film, why is it important that they're engaged in this conversation with the strike? I mean, the most important reason why that anybody should be engaged who wants to become a WGA member is there may not be writing jobs uh, for you, or there may not be as many writing jobs for you uh, when you make that move uh, to the professional ranks. So you, you want to support us now so that, you know, hopefully in the very near future, you can uh, have a writer's room to join or a movie to write. A lot of our listeners and readers are outside of L.A., New York. Uh, how can people support if they're not here? Uh, certainly the best way to support, I think, is uh, contributing to the Entertainment Fund. If you go to the Entertainment Fund website, you can uh, 
hit TV and film and donate money. Any amount is great. Hi, um, I'm Vanessa Benson. Um, I'm a writer and I've written on like The Sandman and other things like that. Um, and what brings me here today is just basically I've been in the industry for, you know, about five or so years and it's getting harder and harder to survive out in L.A. Um, the writer's rooms are increasingly short. And I think what people don't understand who are in the industry is that making a lump sum of money at once has to cover you now for a year up to two years. And in L.A., that's impossible. Um, and besides that, it's just been harder and harder for BIPOC, Black, trans, marginalized writers to get jobs because there's no space. Um, yeah, and I'm here with Shade, who's an emerging screenwriter um, who's on her way to becoming WGA. Um, yeah, what brings you here? What what they said. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm an emerging writer, and I'm terrified because. I've been hearing, like, you know, you read the stories um, online, um, writers' experiences, having to make paychecks stretch over a year. It's just madness, and I am here for change. <laughs> yeah. So I see from your T-shirt that you are a member of SAG. Yes, you uh, are. Can you tell us why you're out here supporting? Well, as an actor, I think, I think I've been, how long have I been in SAG? Uh, like 25 years, sure. 25. Yeah, 25. I've been in the union for, for 25 years. Um, I'm actually a um, support worker for Dominique here. Yes, yeah, sir. Dominique, nice to meet you. Nice right to meet you. Good. Yeah. How are you? Great. So, thanks for coming out. Thank you. Dominique is an actor, and we advocate for um, writers act skilled in America, actors nice. with disabilities. Um, and we kind of cover this topic a lot. Yeah, we do. Um, Fairness, inclusion. Fairness with inclusion, definitely, because we can see a lot of workers going on strike right now, and we need to support one another, and we need to support equal rights amendments also as well. So I just, the first thing I want to say is, you say he created Everyone Loves Raymond. I also want to point out he was excellent as a guest star of an episode of 30 Rock. So... You can I'll think point of his out writer, his, also his a great reality actor. show, Somebody Feed Phil. Amazing. <laughs> and also so, multi-talented. He's he's had quite a bunch of cameos. He's been on The Simpsons. He's I mean, we're big Phil Rosenthal fans over here. And I one the thing that really stuck out to me, you know, of course we were talking, you heard from so many different voices here. Um, but, but what Phil did that was so great was he. Uh, tied it into why this matters for for everyone, for people who are outside of this industry. And so today I'd love to talk about um, that in particular, why like anyone who turns on a TV this matters for, but also people who are working in the industry, but not necessarily in like the narrative film TV world, but like people who are making commercials, people who are making content for period. So um, yeah. And also how great was Phil Rosenthal? It's so funny, you know, I, I was out there on Friday. We got to, you know, be with Gigi in person at Paramount. And the rest of the week I spent at Fox doing different shifts. I did a 5 a.m. shift. I did the 9 to 1. I did the 1 to 5. You know, I, I was all over. Um, very fun being out there on the lines. And I encourage anybody that's in Los Angeles, whether in you're in the WGA or not, whether you're an aspiring writer or not, if you believe in the cause, go to one of these places. Universal could use bodies uh, this week. You know, go. They have signs for you. You can sign in um, and you just walk back and forth and meet a lot of cool people. You know, I got to meet um, some amazing writers, you know, just 
fund people who are established in the industry, people who are just starting out, you know, trading contact information, talking, hearing people pitch, hearing advice from, uh, I met a uh, gentleman who his first strike was the 1988 one. So he's been in, he's been in it three times. It's like, I sold a spec in 87. I struck in 88. I struck in, uh, you know, 2008. Now I'm back here. And he had pins and little uh, t-shirts from all of them and just kind of a fun personality. But it's been amazing to be on the front lines, hearing people's stories. And I think the one thing you'll find when you're out there is there are IATSE people out there. There are SAG people out there, you know, just to Gigi's point. There are people from other parts of the industry out there, um, not just because they believe in the writer's cause, but also because they know the, you know, for lack of a better term, the effect it would have uh, across the industry, you know, when we see these profits being shared. You know, an article we'll have up on No Film School this week is just about how much these CEOs in Hollywood are making. Right, David Zaslav, 2021, made $250 million. Last year, 2022, he made $246 million. Um, Ted Sarandos is around the $50 million range. Ari Emanuel, uh, you know, WM Endeavor, $300 million last year. You know, like these numbers are staggering. Meanwhile, you have top of the year Disney laying off 7,000 people, um, Lionsgate laying off a couple hundred. Uh, I think tens of thousands of layoffs across the industry, um, not just in Hollywood, but also like places like Gimlet, which is a Spotify subsidiary that got rid of all the writers, um, you know, who are doing that. So we're seeing the effects of what this is and a lot of it where the money's going. And I think what the writers are doing right now is standing up for something and saying like, hey, we're creating the content, you know, for lack of a better term, it's what they want to call it. We're creating the things that you put on the air and you are reaping all the benefits, whether that's stock options, bonuses, whether it's base salary, you're taking all that money. And what you're telling us is there's no more piece of the pie for us. You know, and evidently there is, right? You can track the numbers, whether or not you want to say streaming's been profitable or not, or, or goose the accounting any way you, you will. Um, you know, I think this is a, a time to stand up for any of these workers, whether you're in a cubicle, right? You're, whether you're rolling the calls for the producers who are doing this, whether you're directing the episodes or the AC. Um, if you look at companies like uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon just launched their own filmmaking company where everyone has a profit share of the movie they create or the TV show they create. Like these are things that we're coming up with as we go to make sure people are getting what they deserve. And the writers are out there in, you know, with other people saying like, yeah, that is the way it should be. If you have a hand in creating this, you should get paid from it. It shouldn't just be these CEOs taking this massive amount of cash and, and you know, walking away with it. So, you know, it's fun to see people out there, hear their stories, but also um, interact with anybody who's out there, whether it's you know, the writer's assistant who got laid off after three weeks of work and now has nothing or, you know, uh, just like an executive who puts on a hat, a low-brimmed hat and dark sunglasses and wants to march next to you because they also feel like they should get something out of this. You know, it, hmm. it should be, it's been fun being out there and hearing people. And, and I do think, unfortunately, we'll be out there at least through the end of June when SAG and the DGA negotiations start happening and, you know, those deals have to be made. So, you know, come on out. There'll be plenty of time. Pick any shift you want. The 5 a.m. shift's super fun. You get to turn away Teamster trucks. They honk. They love seeing you out there bring coffee, bring donuts. It really is a party. So a party, you know, with, with, uh, good intentions, I, you know, the longer it goes, the less happy I think it'll be. But the, the first week, I think the vibes are, are good. And, uh, it's exciting to be out there just with people demanding to be treated fairly and paid fairly. I think that there's like, I, there's so much beautiful stuff you just talked about that I want to hit on. One of the things being that there were a bunch of other union members from other unions out there with you, which I think was really great because you know, united we bargain, divided we beg. Like, there has to be solidarity between all the unions because in the film industry, a lot of different people show up to do the job. And, like, that solidarity is really encouraging. And, yeah, 
Everybody getting out there is really beautiful. I read an amazing history of the WGA last year, and its name is escaping me, but we'll put it in the show notes. But one of the beautiful things about it was it reminded me that every argument that like, this is a new thing and we don't know what it is, is always a fucking lot. And like, it's like from the beginning, WGA has been striking since at least 1960. And I think there was a strike in the 40s. But the 1960 strike was about what to do with movies when they're shown on television. And everybody was like, well, we don't know what we're going to do. And television is new. And there's this new technology. And so for 60 years now, we've been hearing one side argue like, well, there's this new thing. And we don't know how it's going to work. And every single time they know how it's going to work, which is we're going to get money from it because that is what they do. And they find a way to be like, oh, I guarantee you when they took a movie from a studio in 1959 and they sold it to television, there was a negotiation there with payment, right? NBC is not just showing monster movies without getting paid in 1959. But at every point, you want to keep as much of that money for yourselves, which is like human nature and we get it. But like the WGA has to fight for that ownership of the things that it creates. And any argument that like technology means we can't negotiate right now is always wrong. It's like, no, yes, we are going through a transition in which most content is now streamed and they're getting rid of the HBO and HBO Max, which is like so bizarre. And so sad. So sad. But also, if these things did not generate money for you, you wouldn't do them because all y'all care about is the money. And we need a part of that money to keep doing things. And especially as you know, looking at what the WGA is negotiating for, I mean, it's the future of filmed entertainment, really. It is the ability to make money on things that are streamed and like enough money to live your life properly, enough money to like be a human. You know, if you guys haven't heard the story, Alex O'Keefe, who was one of the writers on The Bear, published an article where he was like, you know, I got paid so poorly on the, like, you know, because of the way it worked, because I wrote for such a short amount of time compared to what you used to write. I think he was overdrafted by the time he won his WGA award, which is like not the fantasy we have of writers. The fantasy we have of writers is you write the best TV show of the year, which the bear was last year. Go watch the bear. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing. And you're like, Oh, the people who created that have homes, right? They have houses, they have pools. And in the nineties, they would have had houses and pools. But the rooms run for such a short period of time now. And the big thing that really concerns me about all this is the ladder's getting cut. I know I talk about the ladder Mm -hmm. all the time. Absolutely. But, like, you know, it used to be you were on a TV show for 22 episodes for a whole year. You were going to set. You were learning how that. You could go from being a baby writer to a showrunner over five years and learn it. And one of the WGA demands was on set time. They were like, oh, if you're a writer on a show, you need to be able to get on set time because that is actually part of your job. Rewriting dialogue on the thing, figuring out like, oh, fuck, we've lost this actor for a day. What else can we shoot that day? Could we fit another? Like, that's part of writing. That's part of your job. And that's non-existent in most mini rooms because right. a lot of mini rooms are done before the show starts. And the counter was, well, you can have an unpaid internship on set. And it's like, oh my God, guys, No one can afford like, oh, okay, you can go to set for like four months and everyone else is getting paid and you're not for those four months. And now are you going to eat? And like, what? What? That was the counter? There's so much to learn as well as a writer on set. I think that it's, uh, you know, as a writer director myself, I really became a better writer and director when I learned how to 
how things were actually functioning in front of the camera and then see being able to see what works. And then frankly, like my writing became way less self-indulgent and way more tight and, and, and just increased so much in quality. Yeah. I think the, the thing that also bums me out and the first person that we heard from the picket line, she had been in four rooms and had never been on production. So she was advancing her career as a writer with that huge knowledge gap of never having, you know, had that paid time on set, which is, you know, ultimately will make the work suffer. I think, you know, uh, it's something we joke about. It became a meme last week, but like succession um, pays three writers to be on set at all times. And it's succession. You know what I mean? Like if you're watching, you understand like, how important these people's roles are to tweak things in in the moment and keep going. You know, one thing I want to circle back on and something I saw, like, um, for lack of a better word, let's say the trolls on social media are looking at peer numbers. Writers, how much money are you making? What are you getting? You can't live off this. And real quick, I just want to break down some numbers for people based on my own experience, um, inspired by our hashtag money episode where we talked about what you would make. Uh, you know, I just got off a Roku TV show. It's my first staffing TV show. Um, and I think, Congrats. you know, when you, when you thank you very much, when you go in to negotiate, you know, you're basically like one of the big gripes we have right now is um, all the studios come in at the minimum. So now, no matter how much other writing you've done or what you've been doing, they offer you the minimum amount. Now, the minimum amount for, uh, I want to be a consulting producer, but let's just use a staff writer, for instance, because I'm better at math than their whole numbers. It's around $5,000 a week, right? So what I wrote on was a show that was uh, basically a mini room, and it was going to be five episodes long, guaranteed 10 weeks. So guaranteed 10 weeks means you're getting $5,000 a week, guaranteed 10 weeks. That's $50,000 if you're a staff writer. Now, right now, staff writers are also not paid for an episode they write, which means if you write an episode of that show, you're not going to get any more additional money. So you're just getting that. Well, 50 grand sounds like a lot of money, right? It's 10 weeks of work. That's amazing. 10 weeks is a little over three months, right? Is that right? I'm not going to, you know, not a, a little under three months. So but, if you um, booked a show to show to show to show, that's 200 grand a year. Exactly. You just have to book what, four shows a year. Yeah, I know. And here's the, the fun thing. So when Roku uh, and all these other places are hiring staff writers, here's what they do. Because they want to have multiple seasons because they don't know what you're going to be doing, they lock you into an exclusive contract. So exclusive mm. for TV means that you're allowed to work in TV. They just want you to come back and work for them. So if you have uh, an equivalent show for them or your show gets picked up and they want to write more episodes, you're locked into that. So now you're locked into 50 grand a year. Maybe you can make more movies, but with as listeners know, it's very hard to sell a spec screenplay. 25 sold last year, less sold the year before, less sold the year before that, you know, so we're not getting that uptick. You're locked into 50 grand. Well, what does 50 grand look like? Agent, manager, lawyer, that's 10%, 10%, lawyer gets 5%, right? So that's 25% off the top in taxes. Out of that 50 grand, what you're looking at is around $27,500. Now, Which is what you get paid yeah. as a Michigan teacher your first exactly. year. Right, yeah. So, and that's what you get, right? So if you're locked in an exclusive deal, like maybe the guy on the bear was, um, you know, that situation, I'm not 100% sure. You're sort of locked into what you've made. You can't make any more. Maybe you get some feature work. You know, maybe there's parallel TV shows. Sometimes the exclusive deal, uh, you're allowed to ask out if you book another show. There's all sorts mm -hmm. of loopholes, but it's also like, okay, great. That's the money I'm guaranteed this year. And Charles said, unless you're booking four more TV shows, unless you get them to toss the exclusivity and also can book more after that 10 weeks is up, you know, you're kind of stuck in a weird situation and, and, you know, a situation where you're not making a lot of money. So while it sounds like a lot of money, while these deals, even if you sold a screenplay for a hundred thousand dollars, right. Or whatever WG minimum, a minimum is, I think like around 90 with, uh, you know, for an original idea, 
you're losing so much, right? So you're losing agent manager, lawyer, you know, that's 25% right there. And taxes is probably between, you know, 20 and 30% after that, you know, if you have a company or how you're writing it off. So really, I would say like you lose 50% off the top. 50 grand is not enough to live in Los Angeles. It just isn't, right? You know, the average rent here for one bedroom, I think is close to $2,800 a month. Uh, you know, even if you're taking on roommates, you know, like my wife is a nurse. She makes a good salary, but we're still paying around $3,000 a month in rent, plus all your expenses, plus your car. It adds up. It's not enough to, to live on. And I think with these CEOs, when you open up and find out someone's making $250 million, uh, you know, it's a bitter pill to swallow, especially while you're out on the lines just asking to know how many people watch your TV show and to be paid residuals accordingly. You know, it, it, it's a conundrum. And that there's also the cost of breaking in, which is, you know, requires you to be writing on spec. And also it takes years to get good at writing. Let's let us not forget that it is a skill set that you have to build. And it takes, you know, it takes a lot of time to be able to understand how to execute story, for example. And maybe you're a lucky person who has a flash in the pan. Great idea first. But Jason and I were just talking the other day over beers how how really to understand the craft of storytelling it takes a, it takes years to mature into it. One thing that I had a sort of like bummed out moment this last week was uh, there's a pre WGA Substack that has that has um, information for people who are pre WGA so we're not you know scabbing or crossing the line uh, and they said that we should not be submitting to the Sundance Labs. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, like we spend, I spend a year working towards getting to the point where I can submit. And that's part of like the cost of breaking in. But then looking into their explanation, I understand what they're saying. They're trying to dry up the pipeline of potential projects that these studios can buy. And even though Sundance, you know, has this rich history of independent film, they really are today very engaged with these studios and these streamers so much so that a lot of their films actually premiere at Sundance. And I kind of like chuckle to myself when they're like independent film. And I'm like, but this is Amazon. So that was like a, a thing that I noticed this week where I was like, okay, bummer for the short term, but in the long term, it's better to be supporting by not engaging this way. Um, and there will be more opportunities in the future. Hopefully what this what this strike does is it puts pressure even more so on the the studios and the streamers to create these programs like the WB uh, writers and directors programs that left and then came back magically to invest in new voices coming in, especially if there's going to be this like dried up pipeline uh, from from the strike. So that was something that was interesting. I know Netflix has toyed around with um, a shorts program. I, I have a friend that sold them an idea that like to be built into a short. And I know they have a lot of fun for it. I'm sure something like that's coming. And, you know, I do think the strike is probably putting a pause on a lot of what those things are as people try to go forward. You know, I'll chime in with like, hey, it's tough. Like, you know, there's always going to be difference of opinions. Like I'm, I'm probably less worried about someone in applying for contests than, than like, you know, querying a bunch of production companies with their stuff to try and make money. Right. So like, but, I do but think the WGA yeah, does exactly, say right. you, sh- you shouldn't be. That is exactly. so. Yeah. So yeah. So it's a, you know it's definitely it's definitely out there. The the point of a strike. This is something my friend had to reiterate to me many times. Is like um, is to cause pain right at the studio level to say like this is what it feels like to have nothing, and uh, that's also going to maybe trickle down to us too, right? It is 
an uncomfortable position to be in to be like, oh, I want to do this. I want to work. I want to sell things. I want my career to get started. I want to use the heat I had coming off a TV show and book something else. Uh, but the situation is like, you might get a short-term benefit, but in the long term, you're going to be screwed, not only just like out of work, but out of fair pay, out of things you maybe never knew you could have. And that might take being uncomfortable right now. And unfortunately, like that's the situation we're in. I also think like there's a thing to remember in all of this is that it goes back to like basic math of our childhood of like mean, median, and mode is you're going to hear numbers in the next couple of weeks of like, well, the average screenwriter makes, or you're going to hear like quotes from what Joel uh, Esterhaus was making in the nineties selling spec scripts. And like, if you put me and Bill Gates in a room, the average salary is like, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars, but that's just two people and outliers, outliers throw the whole thing off. So mm -hmm. like, in the 90s, did a couple people sell spec scripts for more than a million dollars? Yes. Does that happen very often today? Almost never. Specs still sell occasionally, but I don't think in millions of dollars, often for like a smaller thing and more of it gets made. And so like the average working life of a working professional is what's being fought for in this right. strike. And what's beautiful is you see a lot of big name screenwriters. John August is out there on the picket line. And like, this is not going to dramatically affect John August's income because He's so far above minimum because of his experience and clout, but like he's fighting for the average of, of not the, not the uh, mean average, the median average mm -hmm. of the general jobbing screenwriter, trying to get it to the place where it is a life where people can have a career in it. And it's not just a hobby. And like, if, if the way the studios are going, it's treating this as a hobby job. Where it's like, Absolutely. oh, well, if you right. already have another income, you can just write recreationally. If you're from the landed gentry or if you're married to someone rich, it can be like one of those nonprofit jobs yeah. where it's expected your partner is a rich person. But like, we actually want everyone, like we want anyone who, we want the, we want this to be a thing that is able to be a livable yeah. career. Yeah. yeah, the term, the term we hear tossed around a lot is gig economy, right? They want it to become a gig economy where you're like, oh, let's just get a writer on that. You know, the dissolution of writer's rooms is, is a big fear. And you know, if you're, you know, enjoyed this podcast and this conversation, I encourage you to check out The Town. Adam Conover was on last week just explaining WGA stance. And, you know, I'll, I'll sort of bastardize it here. But like, you know, the way studios seem like they're trending towards is like getting rid of a writer's room completely and just saying, we'll hire one showrunner and that showrunner will farm out episodes to one or two people who get paid episodic rates and don't get paid other things. And, you know, if you don't think it's trending that way, you should just look at the way uh, it trended in animation, which is how they do that. And they're not covered in the WGA. Right. Uh, you know, so like these precedents are already there. Those are the big worries. Um, you know, I don't want to exist in a world where screenwriting can't be my one job. As much as I love writing for No Film School, you know, <laughs> I think it would be it would be great to have to only do one thing. And, yeah. you know, that's the dream in a, a situation where you're taking that away from people um, is going to also limit the diversity in voices who can break in, who can afford it. You know, and that's a problem Hollywood has already had, right? Like, what financial background do you come from where you could take a risk mm -hmm. to join the gig economy where you're only being farmed one episode every year, right? It's like, you can't live on that. That's, that's going to absolutely change entertainment as we know it. Uh, and it's something we're figuring out in real time right now. Well, and the, this is one big front of a wider war. So, like, this is not just entertainment. Like, every industry is going through the struggle. Higher education, like, you know, if you went to college in the 60s, all of your teachers were full-time professors and you could make office hours appointments and meet them. 
But like now in all the major markets, there's a school I know of that uh, will remain unnamed, but their policy is they only have one full-time professor per department and that's the chair and everyone else is a part-time adjunct. And like, if you have an adjunct professor, I love adjunct professors. They're great, but like, they're not going to be available for office hours or mentorship or to help you grow your career because they're just paid to show up and teach one class and leave. And because they're working another job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or five yeah. other jobs. Yeah. Because yeah, of like, exactly. it's, yeah. it's like I have a friend who's a freeway adjunct in LA and teaches at five schools. And it's like, you know, it, and this is happening across all industries to be like, how minimal can we make our full-time employment and then farm everybody out to gig? And like, it's happening to entertainment. It's happening to academia. It's going to happen to a lot of other places. And like, we have to fight it, Protect it. in any way we can because you know, especially because, oh, the writers in a, uh, a History of American Screenwriters in a Guild. Gigi found the title. That's a great book. Everybody should read it. Super fun. But also, like, you need... America is built in this ridiculous way where you have to have a full-time job to have, like, health insurance and retirement. If we had a social safety net, going to the gig economy would still suck, but would be different. But we built this society where you only get health insurance with a job, and then they're like, ah, but there's not going to be jobs. Yeah. And it's like, well, fuck that. And and if if the Writers Guild, which is you know, set we we've t- spoken before about how the guild strikes the WGA strikes for everybody, but I think that you know looking at the big picture, it's we're striking against big tech, and 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 if we can't hold the line with big tech, like what does that mean for you know Amazon warehouse workers, which we've already seen like the abuses within that industry. So I think that this is like the beginning of a bigger conversation about like morality and labor practices. That is a constant struggle, but like, I hope that this is a turning point for us as a, as a country and as an industry. And I also think that it's really important from like a global perspective to set this. And and I know that like other unions outside of the, the United States have been expressing solidarity, and I very much appreciate that. Um, but I think we need to, you know, have high standards because it's the right thing. It's week one. We're going to find out a lot. Like I said, like that's why it's so important for everyone to get out there and, and do something. Whether you're on the east or west coast, you can go on the WJ's website. They have a whole list of information for where to pick it and how, and they have um, some really specific ones coming up that look fun. If you're single on Wednesday night. Uh, they're going to have a singles picket line, you know, where I people can that. mingle and date. They have, they, you know, have a, a Latinx one, I think, in um, Asian Pacific Islanders night as well. So like lots of different curated things for you to not only network and talk to people, date, fall in love, whatever. I, I met a married couple last week who said they met on the 2007 lines, you know, so uh, it's out there, you know, find your people, get out there, do the thing. Like I said, it's been week one. We're going to find out. But this is a fight that's so much larger than just writers on the coasts. It's, it's all of us. You know, I think we know we're all in it together. So uh, hopefully we can come out on top. All right. So, uh, we'll be updating you on this as it goes. Where can we find everybody on the internet? I'm just on Mastodon, Charles Hain at barbecue.snoot. I'm at lost in Graceland across all platforms. And uh, at Jason Hellerman across all platforms, um, find me, email me. And like I said, if you're a no film school reader, you have an article you want, Please email me again this week. We're you know I'm I'm farming the ideas out to you guys at this point. You're my uh, <laughs> you're my human <laughs> chat GPT. We want to yeah. answer to you. Exactly. Yeah, we're here to cater to you. <laughs>